and we want to make sure that uh, you don't leave without your mug, and make sure you give a little hashtag mug shot. Take a picture. Go ahead. All right. Uh, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to take it with one of my favorite people who's here today. Parker Brandt is here from the great up north. Stand up, Parker. Never mind, Parker. Sit down just a minute. Uh, let me... Um, here we go. Where, where are you? Here, you hold this. You hold the mug, right? And let's see. That's the back of Johnny Robertson's head. I don't want that one. That's the meal that I had the other day. Don't want that. All right. There we go. Ready? One, two. Look at this guy right here. Awesome. Hey, you keep that now. All right. Take it with you when you're on the golf course, you know. Put a little um, hot chocolate in it. Enjoy yourself. Hey, we are glad that you are here. Glad that you are present and hope that you are being encouraged today as, as you are coming to uh, enjoy worship with God. Um, I want you to uh, know that we're going to move through some stuff really quickly this morning. Got a lot of stuff to share and a short time to get there because we've got some great classes that are available here that we're going to be starting uh, around that 1030 time frame. And we want you to be able to be a part of those and to go and participate in one of the classes that meets around our campus. So there's a lot of things to get through before we, we finish up our time in here. So I need you to listen quickly. All right? Listen quickly. I need you to um, stay engaged and uh, stay with me. If just right in the middle, if you need to eat some of that candy that's in the mug to kind of get that sugar high, you know, going, you go ahead and do that. There's a reason we do these things on certain days, Okay. Hey, but we wanted you to have this mug today because we love the East Brainerd Church of Christ. And we hope you love the East Brainerd Church of Christ. And we want you to take that mug and we want you to put it on your desk at work. We want you to put it uh, wherever it is that it can be seen, whether it be in your home, whether it be keeping it in your car, so it becomes a conversation piece so that you're able to talk about the church family that you're a part of. Because we want you to have those conversations. And we want you to be able to share with others about the great things that God is doing in Chattanooga through the people who are a part of the East Brainerd congregation. And we want others to come and to be a part of what God is doing here. And we want to celebrate as people are being baptized into Christ and as people are, are reorienting their lives to the gospel. And we, we want to be able to rejoice and as we have more and more families and more and more individuals coming to be a part of what God is doing here. And you are a part of that as you talk about who we are as a church. Now, we don't often talk about who we are. In fact, within Churches of Christ, we don't talk about our history very much at all. In a lot of ways, we're spiritual orphans. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is hopefully lay out where we've come from, which is what we're going to talk about today, where we are, and where we are going. And so if you are new to our midst and wondering, what is the East Brainerd Church of Christ all about? Hopefully these next three weeks are going to give you kind of an idea and a sample. If you have been here for a long time and you say, oh, exactly who are we? Because I don't know if we're the same, same people we were when I came here 20 years ago. There's differences that I see. Hopefully this is going to do something and be a, an aid to you to go, oh, okay, I see now what our identity is. And if you're out there wondering, where in the world are we going as a church body? Then I hope that after we spend some time together over the next few weeks, that you'll have a better understanding of the direction in which our congregation is, is headed and that 
that you say that you want to get on that freeway and that you want to row the boat, so to speak, and, and be a part of the great things that are going on here. I remember going down to Six Flags one year with a bunch of teenagers. We were riding in our church van, and it had the name of the church emblazoned across the side. And we were almost to Six Flags when a nondescript white van pulled up beside us, and all of these young people started going, what in the world is going on? And so we speeded up a little bit, and that van speeded up as well and got beside us. And We did it a third time, and for a third time, this van just kept right with us, and the kids that were in the And then finally, the fourth time after we tried to get away from the stalkers that were beside us, they pulled up and someone had scrawled out on a sheet of paper, Acts 2. Just the words, Acts 2. And we were like, oh, that's a group of Church of Christ kids. Yeah, they're one of us. I know who that is because we were Acts 2 people. We're Acts 2 people. That is where our heritage and our history comes from. And if you have grown up in churches of Christ, you've heard many lessons from Acts chapter 2, and you have heard the, the different stories of how Jesus promised to build His church in Matthew chapter 16, and then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles and those who were there with them, and they began to declare the message of Jesus and the good news that was His saving grace. And it is that history oftentimes that, that we focus on. And when our church history is discussed, we often talk about it from an Acts 2 perspective and talk about how the church began in Acts chapter 2, and then there was this period of, of darkness, so to speak, for, for centuries, and then the American Restoration Movement came about, and then we went back to Acts chapter 2 as individuals started mimicking the first century Christians. But there's more history than that. There's more to our history, and we have been, we have been shaped by that history. And the way in which we have been shaped has influenced our present identity. And I think the reason that we don't like to necessarily study our history is because it threatens to undercut some of the basic assumptions that we have made about our, and I am short up here, let me move that over. Hey, Parker, there you are. Couldn't see you before. It undercuts some of our basic assumptions that we, that we have. And so, here's what I want us to do. I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson. Like I said, it's going to go really quick, and we're going to talk about a lot of things. But I want to walk you through a little bit of the history of churches of Christ and how it has influenced our own present identity and how we have been shaped by that to kind of give you an, an understanding. And under, please understand from the beginning that what I'm going to give you is just a thimbleful of an ocean of information that we could discuss together, but time just does not allow. And so I want to be able to present in just a condensed form about the history and how it has shaped us and who we are today. 
So Corbin's going to be running the slides for me this morning, and he's going to be um, hitting that button pretty quick. So here we go, Corbin. Let's go to the first slide when it talks about kind of a history lesson here. First century, you have the apostles teaching. There's no unified canon, meaning there is no scripture. There is no Bible like we have. Individual letters are being disseminated through the different Christian communities. Many of those letters written by the apostle Paul. There were church fathers who would be raised up, who would hold to these teachings and would share them in the communities in which they lived. And there was change, but not an ex- a substantial amount of change that would take place in those second and third centuries that would follow. But big changes happened to Christianity in the fourth century. This is when Constantine came on the scene. Christianity was made legal, and because of that, the Christians came out of the shadows. Christians came out of the catacombs, out of the hiding places. And you see up here, it says the Constantinian effect. And that is the effect that was had on those who were disciples of Jesus, how now instead of having to meet in homes, instead of fearing for their beliefs, now it was something that was mainstream. Buildings began being built where Christians could come and gather, and there began to be a merging of religion and government as they came to be tied in together. It is also during this time that you see the establishment, development of what is known as the universal or the Catholic Church. And again, this tie that takes place between religion and government. And then for the next thousand years, you enter into a period of history that is known as the Middle Ages. And it was during that period of history that a lot of terrible things were done in the name of Jesus and in the name of Christianity. It was a very dark time in the historical record. Maybe you've heard times like this referred to as the Dark Ages. You fast forward a thousand years and you get to the 16th century and you've studied in history class before perhaps about the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation and the impact that individuals like Martin Luther had on the Christian community. Now a lot of people think that when you had the Protestant Reformation and you had individuals breaking from that universal or Catholic church that had developed, that everybody thought the same way. But it wasn't the case. There were actually four different streams that developed. You had the Lutheran, the Anabaptist, the Anglican, and the Reformed stream. And all four of these different streams of faith looked at Scripture differently. They all held that the Bible was the source of record, the source of direction. It was the guiding book of of principles. But all four streams looked at Scripture through different lenses. And from these streams, you then get different types of religious groups, many that you've heard of, some maybe that some of you maybe grew up and were a part of. And you can see from the Lutherans to the Amish to the Methodists and Episcopal and the Presbyterians, and and there are others that we could add there, but that just gives you a little bit of a taste to see that during this Reformation, there came out these four different ways to kind of, of look at things. And then what begins to take place, because there is this new world that has been discovered, and because there is this area that provides religious freedom to some extent, where we can go and practice the religion that we want to, guess where all of these streams ended up flowing? They came here. All the streams began to flow into this new nation that was beginning to develop. And guess what happened as these different streams began to flow into the nation? 
there becomes division and divisiveness because guess what? Your stream's different from my stream and, and, and his stream's different from her stream and we're looking at this differently and, and there becomes this animosity that begins to build. Well, there were two Presbyterian ministers, Alexander Campbell and Barton W. Stone, who were on the American frontier in the early 1800s. And these guys, as Presbyterian ministers, began to look around at much of the division that was taking place between those who confessed Christ and thought, you know what, it would be great if somehow we could urge these Christians that we see around us to lay aside their denominational ties but so that we can have unity together. These two believed separately. They, they started these thoughts and conversations with their congregations at separate times and in separate locations. But they both believed that the unity of Christians would hasten the return of Christ. And that if Jesus was going to return, his people were going to need to be unified. Now, these guys differed on many different issues. They differed on the idea of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. They differed on the role of baptism. They even differed on the Lord's Supper. But yet, they were committed to fulfilling Christ's prayer of unity in John 17. Now, the guy here, Barton W. Stone, he saw church primarily as a holy community. The key to a church pleasing God was transformed lives, transformed holy lives evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit. Now, Campbell, he saw the church primarily as a system, and the key to the church pleasing God was tied to having the correct order and form. Now, both of these guys had grown up in that reformed stream that we just showed you. They had a certain way of looking at Scripture. They both affirmed the Bible as the sole source of authority for belief and practice. But the differences lay in how they served or how the Bible served as that authority. And so there were discussions on, was the Bible just a book of facts that Christians should master? Or was Scripture a total tool of the Holy Spirit used by God to transform the lives of believers? And what about when the Bible is silent? Is that prohibitive or is it permissive? And these discussions began to bear themselves out in those who were a part of their congregations and those who had heard them speak at different places along the frontier. And then you have different groups, different congregations of people who decide, you know what, I, I think that they're having a good point and, and I don't want to be known necessarily as a Methodist or a Baptist or Presbyterian anymore. I think I just want to be known with this idea of being Christian. And so you have this, this loosely tied group of assemblies of different meeting places where they would get together and, and talk about these different types of ideas. And so you would have those who had grown up Methodist or Catholic or, or, or Baptist or Presbyterian and, and they were getting together and they were sharing Scripture with one another and they were talking about these different types of issues. And during the mid to late 1800s, these conversations really centered a lot around what took place when the Christians assembled and and evangelism. And a lot of conversation with these groups started talking about, uh, do, you, do you use instruments in worship or not? Or do you just sing a cappella? And what about when it comes to reaching out to those around us? Can we, can we send our money off to other groups like the Mission Society in Cincinnati, Ohio, and let them 
let them be able to send out missionaries or should the local church just send out these individuals? Now, these conversations were going on and they began to be heavily influenced by the strife that was taking place between the North and the South. Now, if you look at the picture that's up here, you see that in the 1830s, and the best way I could try to picture this is to just put these little church buildings. But I want you to think instead of like home group Bible studies that you might attend or a Bible study that you might go to down at Panera Bread and you've got different people from, from different faiths that are getting together and reading scripture and talking with one another. That's what's happening in the 1830s. By the 1860s, there begins to be a division that starts taking place within these different groups who are part of what is becoming known as the Stone Campbell Movement. And that difference, that line is drawn there for a reason. Because you've got northern churches and you've got southern churches. And guess what? Churches of the Stone Campbell movement located in the Union sympathetic states adopted instruments and supported the Cincinnati-based mission society. Churches in the Stone Campbell movement located in Confederate sympathetic states opposed the use of instruments in worship and denied support to the mission society. You can see the, the strife that's beginning to build up. And so if, if there's one group in one location that supports something, another group is not going to support it. And, and they can go and look at scripture in different ways and, and start to, in some ways, twist those things to support their own individual idea. And this strife continues to grow until by 1906, the divide between the two groups was so much that there was an official split in the movement. And the movement was recognized as those churches that worshipped a cappella and held to Campbell's view that the church was a system being known as the churches of Christ. And those churches choosing to worship with instruments and holding more to Stone's view that the church was a holy community, those groups were known as the Christian churches. And not coincidentally, the majority of churches of Christ were located in the south, while the majority of Christian churches were located among the Mason-Dixon line. And so you have this split that then takes place here in the early 1900s. And what I've got here for you pictured, I want you to see how that what now begins to happen is that you have a group that is known to themselves and to others as the churches of Christ, and there becomes this shared theology and practice that begins to develop. And you have some of these different individual congregations there on the left moving into this box and agreeing with the shared theology and practice that is coming to be known as the churches of Christ. And it continues. I want you to look at the next slide. The reason that this box was forming, so to speak, and there was a coalescing around a shared thought is the fact that you had many different publications that were being put out that individuals were reading and that they were beginning to, to see, oh, this is what our people are teaching and this is what our people are holding to. Not only was there the different publications that, went, that were out, but over time there developed different schools where individuals could go to and they could hear specific teachings that churches of Christ held to. And over time, many of you have participated in things such as lectures and maybe you've got 
um, family members that went to one of our schools of preaching. You've seen those track boards up in uh, church buildings perhaps in the past where you could go and pull up and see, oh, this then is what the churches of Christ teach on certain subjects. Now, I know this is a, a very simplistic view, but this is what was taking place in order to help coalesce individuals around a shared theology and practice. And so here's what we get. Look at the next one. People began asking, well, who decides what goes in our box, right? Who decides what gets in? And so I put up here three, or excuse me, four different things that are very specific in a lot of ways to the churches of Christ. And if you've grown up in churches of Christ, you have seen these things before. You've heard about them and you have had classes on them. The church name, you say, well, why churches of Christ? In Romans 16 and verse 16, it says, the churches of Christ salute you. And that was the name that was chosen saying that was going to be a biblical name to describe those who were Christians. Now, the interesting thing is that in that same chapter, Romans chapter 16, you can also read about female deacons, you can read about house churches, and you can read about giving a holy kiss of greeting. Those things did not make it into our box, but the name did from Romans chapter 16. In 1 Corinthians 11, you can read about the Lord's Supper. Also in that same chapter, there are writings about head coverings and the idea of sharing an agape meals or the fact the Lord's Supper was shared in the context of a meal. Well, those didn't get into our box, at least not all of our boxes. Now, my grandmother grew up or, or was a part of a church of Christ and the women there had head coverings. So for some churches of Christ, the head coverings got in the box but in others, it did not. Well, who decided that that was going to get in the box or something was going to be left out? Our acapella singing, Ephesians chapter 5, right before it says that we should speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, it says that we need to be filled with the Spirit, not filled with wine. We don't talk a lot about the Spirit fill, filling within our congregations, but we hold very much to the acapella idea of our singing, and yet they're in the same chapter. We also have male teachers and male leadership within our congregation. And oftentimes, 1 Timothy 2 is used as a proof text for that. In that same chapter, though, men are told to pray with hands being raised, but I didn't see Derek doing that earlier as he was praying necessarily. And the women are told not to wear expensive clothes or jewelry. Now, those things did not get put in the box, but the male teacher idea and the male leadership idea did. And so the reason that I show you this is to show you that during this period, from the mid-1800s into the early 1900s, there was conversation that was going on between those who were a part of the Stone Campbell movement, who were deciding what was going to be in the box and what was going to be outside the box, that box being our shared theology and practice. And some things were put in, while some things were decided to be left out. And then here's what happens. By the 1940s, the churches of Christ had a shared theology and practice that the majority of places that had Church of Christ on their sign held to. And so that's why if you grew up during this time frame here, and you grew up in Chattanooga and decided you were going to go visit in Birmingham or you were going to drive somewhere out in uh, South Georgia, you were going to go down to Florida, wherever you might go on vacation or any other place, 
you could probably find some place that had Church of Christ on their sign, and you would go in, and you would see something that was very familiar to you. You would hear lessons that were very familiar to you, because there was a shared theology and practice that had basically been agreed upon that these autonomous congregations, meaning there was no headquarters, but because of the periodicals, because of the schools that many of the leaders had gone to, there was a shared thought. And so that's why when you went from one church of Christ to another, especially in the South, you got the same thing. Now, if you went above the Mason-Dixon line and you saw some place that said Church of Christ on the sign, you might not necessarily get what you were expecting because some of the Christian churches continue to use the name Church of Christ even though they had a different type of practice. They were above the Mason-Dixon line. So that's why there, you, if you look back in your own history, and if this is what you grew up in, then you say, oh yeah, right, I remember going places, and, and, and they had the, the, the boards up front that had the songs on, on it, and they had the boards on the other side that had the attendance numbers and how much people were, were giving in their offering, and I remember the songbooks were usually the same, and the songs that we sang were all the same, and the, usually the Bible translations would be very similar, and, and you start going, oh, now I begin to see that. And so look at the next slide. You had a shared theology and practice. There was high biblical factual IQ because biblical study was something that was stressed as being paramount during this time period that we needed to be able to study our Bibles and to know the facts that were present in the Bible. And so we learned the kings of the northern kingdom and the kings of the southern kingdoms in the Old Testament. We learned the different verses that talked about our own theology and practice. Higher education for our ministers was discouraged. All you needed was the Bible, it was often said. So open up your Bible and read it and just do what it says. We debated doctrine. We weren't the only ones. The other religious groups around were doing the same things. We were all happy to get into different religious discussions and people would come and listen and say, oh, I agree on that point or I disagree with that point. But it's something that took place on a regular basis. Conversion was to the church, and it was talked about if a person, he or she, was a member of the church or not, and that was often used in the idea of converting someone from one faith to another. And there was not really any fellowship with other believers, meaning those individuals who believed in Jesus, but who perhaps worshiped in a Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, or any of those other settings that we talked about earlier. That was from the 1940s to 1980s. And if you grew up in that time period, that is probably the church experience that you had if you grew up in churches of Christ. Now look at the next slide. Our evangelism became moving those who had other boxes into our box. Because understand, the Baptists have a theology and practice, the Methodists have a theology and practice, just like we have a theology and practice. And so our evangelism became, let's encourage people who were not in our box to come to our box. Now, what do we call church, these church boxes? Denominations. And what our, those original individuals in the 1800s had said we need to call people out of is what we began trying to call people back into. Look at the next slide. We weren't always united even during this time frame. These are things listed here that we have argued and fought and actually divided over through the years as churches of Christ. Look at all those. 
And maybe you've been at places before that have had these these arguments or these questions. And because you came down on one side or other or because a family member did, you ended up leaving the congregation that you were at and going to another place because even though we had a shared theology and practice, there were still questions and divisions that would end up taking place. Now, I give you all this background, not to put you to sleep during worship, but so you understand that no religious community ever forms within a vacuum. And it is within this idea then that the East Brainerd Church of Christ comes to be in 1946. Thanks to the foresight and vision of the members of the Churches of Christ in the Chattanooga area, specifically the Brainerd Congregation, they decided, you know, it would be great if there was a congregation of the Churches of Christ that was on this side of town. And in 1946, we then began meeting for the first time. And guess how we began to meet? We had self-governing congregations. We had elders and deacons and evangelists. We had male leadership. We baptized by immersion. We talked about five acts of worship. We sang only a cappella. We had limited or no fellowship with denominations. We were distinctive in our separation from other Christian groups. And why is that? Because that was our box. That was who we were supposed to be. That's what we were about. And so when you you look at us, you begin to notice that we were born during a time of institutional uniformity. And East Brainerd adopted the faith, the practice, and organization consistent with the churches of Christ in the 1940s. And since our inception, we have held to many of the major identifying markers of the churches of Christ. You go to many churches of Christ and you'll see many of those same things right there because that's who we are. That is our identity. Now, starting in the 1990s, there began to be a a movement of some congregations that had Church of Christ on the sign out of the box. Meaning they decided, I don't know if we're going to hold to all the things that are in our box that define our identity or not. And so for the 1990s until now, there has been a a schism in our theology and practice. That's why if you now go to Nashville or Birmingham or Florida or South Georgia or wherever it is that you might travel... And you go into a church of Christ on vacation or whatever and you walk in, you could see something very different than what you are used to at your home congregation, whether it be here or somewhere else. Because just because it has churches of Christ on the sign does not mean that they necessarily hold to those things that have traditionally been in the box. So during this time, there's been a decrease in biblical IQ as it has across the religious spectrum. People just aren't reading and studying their Bibles as much as they used to. Higher education for our ministers have been encouraged, but guess what? There's a shortage of ministers in churches of Christ where individuals are not wanting to go into ministry any longer. Debating is now discouraged over the entire religious spectrum. It's not something that people want to participate necessarily into. And now the conversions are talked about being conversions to Christ, not necessarily conversions to the church. There's fellowship with other believers, but not necessarily with other, a part of the churches of Christ. Because guess what happens as you begin to move out of this box? Those who are in the box don't like that, right? It's uncomfortable. 
There's a questioning of why don't you want to be what we are and why don't you want to hold to the truths that we have always held to. And so, I know you're sitting there wondering, all right, so where are we? Where, where is East Brainerd? Who are we? I'm glad you asked. We're a church of Christ. That is who we are. That is our heritage. That is our history. We're a self-governing congregation, meaning that we are not told by anyone anywhere else what we are to do or not to do. The elders who lead our congregation are not subject to any school, any board, any type of assembly. We get to decide here what it is that's going to be our, our faith and practice. We have, we have deacons who are part of our ministries, and we have ministers who serve in, in different ways. Now, you see I listed up here male-female leadership. What does that mean? Because earlier it said that East Brainerd began with, with male leadership only. We have, we have females who are on staff as ministers in different uh, ways here at our church, serving uh, in our youth ministry, in our children's ministry. We have women who lead different ministries that go on here. We have women highly involved in our transformation project, in our snack pack ministry, warm coats for cool kids, okay? We've got women involved in a lot of ways in those different areas. Baptism is still by a, a, immersion, and I put varying worship formats, and all I mean by that is that uh, you don't necessarily always know exactly how many songs we're going to sing when you show up. It used to be kind of if you grew up in Churches of Christ, you had like three songs and a prayer and two songs and, you know, communion and lesson. And, and uh, things are varied a little bit as, as Derek looks to see what is going to be the, the best way kind of um, to, to create the worship experience here that is going to help, whether it be the, the lesson that's going to be taught or a, a certain mood that we want to set. We still sing a cappella. There are times that you come that you hear music being played in videos that I might use in sermon illustrations. Uh, there might be uh, music that's played in the background of some of our countdowns and different things that you see. But we're not anti being able to hear music, but when we offer up our praise to God, we're going to do that a cappella with voice only. We're not anti being able to hear music being played in the building. We just choose to follow the simplicity of the New Testament church and, and we sing a cappella. We have limited fellowship with other religious groups, individuals that partner with us for uh, snack packs and other ministries that we do. We welcome individuals to come and to be a part of the different things that we've got going on that we can join together to have an impact in the community. And there are things that we do that mirror the greater Christian practice. And one of the things is going to be coming up in December where we'll have our uh, nativity play that'll be put on by our children's ministry. And maybe you grew up in a church of Christ that didn't necessarily talk about Christmas that much. Um, but we encourage our young people here to share the story of Jesus at any and all time. And if there's a time that fits best with being able to share that story, we applaud them and we want to be able to encourage them to be a part in the sharing of that message. And that mirrors more of the greater Christian practices. So I go through all this to remind us that our history has shaped our present identity. We are who we are for a reason. We are who we are for a reason because of decisions that were made before any of us ever came on the scene. And the issues that became identifying marks of the churches of Christ became so not because they are necessarily the most prominent or important topics in Scripture but because of decisions made by our spiritual ancestors in the 19th and the 20th century. 
And the decisions that were made were not necessarily bad in any way. There were just decisions that were made where it was decided this will be in our box and this won't be in our box. But we need to recognize the history that we come from and recognize the influence that those who have come before us have had on who we are then as a church. Now, if any of the things that I have talked about here concern you or make you feel a little uncomfortable, if, if you've grown up never hearing some of this history, then I want to ask you this question and try to allay some of your fears. Jesus and what equals salvation? Jesus and what equals salvation? This was a question the churches that you find in your Bible that were written to by Paul in a book that's called Galatians struggled with. Because they struggled with the idea of taking their faith in Christ and who Jesus was and mixing it with their history of what had been handed to them by their mothers and fathers and, and grandparents and so on. And, and they decided, many of them, that you needed Jesus plus you needed the Old Testament law. You needed those two things together. You needed the law of Christ and you needed the law of Moses. And so they said Jesus plus law equals salvation. And so the apostle Paul would write to them. And I want you just to look at some of the verses of what he says in this letter. Galatians 2 and verse 21. If righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. He said if you can get to God through keeping this, this law of your forefathers, then there was no reason for Jesus to go to the cross at all. He says in chapter 3, he asked, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit that you're now trying to finish by means of the flesh? He said it was the Spirit of God that brought you into relationship with God. And now you're telling different individuals they need to be circumcised and they need to follow these different commands of Moses. He says now you're trying to get over the finish line with something that you didn't even start with. Chapter 5. He says you who are trying to be justified by keeping that law have been alienated from Christ. And you have fallen from grace. He said, if you're trying to hold on to Jesus and you're trying to hold on to this law of Moses, he said, then you don't have any hand to hold on to grace with. Grace has nothing to grab hold of you with because you are trying to hold on so tight to both Christ and the history of your forefathers. And so he says in chapter 5 and verse 6, in Christ Jesus the only thing that counts is faith, and as Derek has already led us so wonderfully today, expressing itself through love. So Jesus and what equals salvation? So let me get real with you. Is it Jesus plus our church name? Or is it Jesus plus our worship style? Or is it Jesus plus our leadership structure? Or is it Jesus plus all the ministries that I'm involved in? Is it Jesus plus my reverence? Is it Jesus plus my Bible translation? 
Is it Jesus plus my baptism? Is it Jesus plus my church clothes? Is it all of those? Is it just one? Is it something that's not even there on the list? Is it Jesus plus something else that equals salvation? And before you say, well, Chris, are you saying that none of those things are important? No, not at all. But if you have more faith in the mode of your baptism than in the Savior into whom you were baptized, Paul says you have fallen from grace. Because you try to hold to Jesus plus all of these other works and acts of righteousness. When what Scripture shows us is that it is only Jesus that equals salvation. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So let's wrap it up. I got a couple of questions. Is our identity in Christ or is it in our denominational church box? Do you tell people that you're a Christian or that you're a Church of Christ member? You say, well, those two things are, are synonymous, are, are the same, right? Just asking, is your identity found in Christ or is it in our church's denominational box? And you say, but I've always been taught that our church is not a denomination. We have a box just like the Methodists have a box, just like the Baptists have a box, the Presbyterians have a box. That's our faith and theology and organization and practice. And the world looks at that and says, you know what? That's a denomination. And if our faith is more in what is in that box than in Christ, Paul says, you've fallen from grace. Let me ask another one. What if you change something that's in your box? Can the content of your church's box change and your identity remain the same? Apparently it can because some of you grew up at places that didn't have Sunday school. And Sunday school was added. Some of you grew up at places that didn't have youth ministers. Now churches have youth ministers. Some of you grew up at places that did not have hired preachers, didn't pay the preachers. Now you've got ministry staff. Some of you grew up, I know, worshiping in homes, and now you come and worship in a building. Can the content of your church's box change, and yet you still may remain in Christ? Depends on who you are. So let's close with this. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, you are a chosen people, speaking to those who believe that Christ is the Son of God. You are a royal priest. You are a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you did not have an identity as a people, but now you are God's people. That is who we are. That's who we should be. That's what we should be about. See, we are God's people. 
Not because we worship a certain way, but because of who we worship. We are God's people, not because we do good things, but because Jesus did a great thing at Calvary. We are God's people, not because we attend a church of Christ, but because we believe in the Christ of the church. We are God's people. That is our identity. That is who we are. And so pull out your mug. Take a selfie. Put hashtag EB mugshot all over social media. Let everybody know the body of Christ that you're a part of. Shout it from the rooftops that you're a part of the East Brainerd Church of Christ and be proud of who you are here a part of this body because you are God's child. You're part of the people of God. And that's where we've come from. Next week, we're going to talk about where are we right now? And in two weeks, we're going to talk about where is it that we are? We're headed as a church. I hope you'll be excited about it. I hope you're going to be sharing this with others and encourage others to to go online and to listen to these messages and that we'll have conversations with one another about these things. And I'm also excited to say, you know what? We're going to sing a song together. And if you would like to be a part of the body of Christ, if you would like to be a part of God's people, the opportunity is here for you. To confess that Jesus is the Son of God because you have changed the way that you see God and your relationship with Him and you want to surrender to Jesus through baptism. And we'll rejoice as you're baptized into Christ and we'll celebrate with you and we'll walk alongside you as you are part of the body of Christ that just happens to worship at East Brainerd. So Derek, come and lead us. If you need to respond, I encourage you to do so as together we stand and sing.